I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everyone. Happy Monday and welcome to a brand new week of Collider Dailies. Steve, how you doing? How was your weekend? What'd you do? Uh, that's a good. Before I tell you, let me shut my phone off so it doesn't ring during the uh, <laughs> during doing this. What did I do? I watched screeners. This is going to sound shocking. I watched things I needed to watch for interviews this week. And uh, I also spent a lot of time picking winners for our screenings that are coming up this week. So basically I just did my normal weekend. You know. I mean, yeah, this is exactly what I would have guessed. Um, the first two screenings of Scary Perry's horror series went quite well. We had a wonderful time with the Suitable Flesh team on a Friday night. And then I just loved being in a room with a whole bunch of trick-or-treat super fans on Saturday night. And I did. I went all out, Steve. I dressed up as Sam, and I sat there, and I did my entire conversation with Mike in my Sam onesie. <laughs> was, was Mike happy, or was he like, please move backwards? He So he didn't judge me to my face. I can't account for what was going on in his head, but he was very, very tolerant of, of my my you know, excessive enthusiasm for his movie. I, I would, yes, I would imagine. I mean, it, it can't be bad to be, you know, having a super fan asking you questions. Yeah, I, I could have gone on and on. He was very generous with his answers. I'm dropping in the link really quick to the uh, the landmark ticket sale page for our last two screenings in the series, which are the final girls on Friday night and on Saturday night, it is lights out. So go get tickets. They're only $5. You should also mention uh, you have filmmakers. Oh, maybe. Yeah. We have the directors of both movies. They're going to be there for Q&As. Um, I'm very excited about both of those conversations. The Final Girls was one of my favorite movies of 2015, and I think that movie deserved way more love than it got. And uh, 
than with Lights Out. Again, it was one of my favorite movies of 2016, and it's real damn cool that that launched David F. Sandberg's career, and look at what he's done since. It's wild. Yeah, for people that don't realize, Shazam, Shazam 2, um, plus there was something else that he did. Annabelle Creation. There it is. I couldn't remember that. That movie's real damn good, too. After not loving the first Annabelle movie, the fact that I loved the second one as much as I did, I mean, big applause for him because that movie's great. So moving into the box office. Oh, we have to talk about box office, don't we? So here's your weekend box office report. I'll give you the top five to start. Number one is Taylor Swift, The Eras Movie, with $31 million more. Then we have Killers of the Flower Moon, which opened up with $23 million. Then at number three, it's The Exorcist Believer with $5.6 million. Number four went to Paw Patrol, The Mighty Movie, with $4.5 million. And then at number five is The Nightmare Before Christmas with $4.1 million. That one's kind of cool. It's for a 30th anniversary re-release. My niece and nephew went to go see that movie, and they lasted a matter of minutes, and then up and left and saw Paw Patrol again, because apparently Nightmare Before Christmas was too scary, which is understandable. They're tiny children, but as someone who loves that movie, I want them to love it as much as I do. Steve, I don't know if you're there anymore. I cannot see you, but I will continue to blab in the meantime until you stop me. So... Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can't see you. Oh, this is very interesting. Yes. There is a funny symbol in the screen. Ah, and it looks like an internet connection issue. Oh, I can see. So you got blurry in the uh, in the live stream. There you go. There you're back. Can you see me now? I can see you, Steve. Now I feel there better and I can move on with this show. So that it's live. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, that's what happens with this stuff. Good. So with uh, the Taylor Swift uh, movie, it is a big deal that it's still performing very well. And apparently it's the first concert movie in history to cross $100 million at the domestic box office. And, you know, it is probably well worth a reminder that the movie cost $15 million and it was totally self-financed by Taylor Swift. So goes without saying, the movie is a massive, massive hit. So now, the biggest, uh, the biggest topic for us is Killers of the Flower Moon, because all eyes were on Scorsese's new movie. So it opened up, and it is now the third best nationwide opening of his career. That's behind Shutter Island and also The Departed. And another big thing with this one is that it ties with The Departed and Goodfellas in terms of receiving the best cinema score of his career, which is an A-. And that could be a pretty big deal going forward because that cinema score does suggest that the movie might have legs. And this movie really needs to have legs for a number of reasons, but a big one being it is vying for a whole bunch of Oscar nominations. So, Steve, given this box office report for Killers of the Flower Moon, do you think these numbers up its chances to get more Oscar nominations? Uh, well, okay. well, first of all, Martin Scorsese has a cheat code, and that is being Martin Scorsese. The thing about a lot of movies, because of how many get released that are, you know, buzzed about and people are like, you need to see this for because it could be an awards movie, is just literally people only have so many hours in the day to, to watch things. So sometimes you might have a great movie and no one's watching it because, you know, the, there's other things they need to watch. Because of Leo and Scorsese, you have every single person who's a film fan, they have to see the movie. It's not like you can skip this one. You know, you you have to watch. So because of that, you're going to have all these, everyone watches it. So that's a leg up. And then it's a really, really good movie. And then you have that. 
The uh, I absolutely think that Killers will be a player. I don't think I thought Leo was really good, but I didn't think it was his best performance. I think Lily is amazing in it and will get nominated. Um, and I think the film and probably Scorsese. But to be honest, I, I don't see it being Oppenheim, beating Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. I still think Oppenheimer is the front runner. I just think there's too much love for that film. And it's the fact that, uh, you know, Nolan has not won uh, the big awards. Um, that's just my gut feeling. But Killers of the Flower Moon is absolutely a player in the awards race. I don't think you're that far off there. I do think that this opening, and in particular the A minus cinema score, I think it's going to work in its favor. I think that's a pretty solid start right there. The the thing that I keep thinking about with the award season race is I do think that Barbie and Oppenheimer are just going to continue to make a whole lot of noise this season. But then I think we're going to wind up with a bunch of things that like come out the gate early on in the season real hot. We're talking about them nonstop. And, you know, they might still be in the conversation when nominations are announced, but we're going to see their chances slowly like fizzle out and there'll be a little less heat behind them. And I do think Killers of the Flower Moon is likely going to be one of those movies. I still think it's going to get a ton of nominations, but I don't think we're going to be talking about it going on to get that many wins. You know which movie, Steve, I think is going to climb, climb, climb until the big night uh let me guess yes i want you to guess um i'm gonna go with the marvels (laughs) i thought you were gonna give me a serious answer man The, the one that i have a whole lot of faith in i have a whole lot of faith that it's going to build momentum and it's going to get a wider and wider fan base is the holdovers oh i was going to say john wick four but yeah the holdovers i mean yeah that's new I I do think the holdovers is going to have stronger and stronger chances as we progress throughout the season. I I personally think it's nominated for best picture, Paul Giamatti for best actor, probably best screenplay. Um, And I mean, Alexander Payne could get nominated as well. I mean, I, I, the holdovers is one of my favorite films of the year. And um, I mean, listen, I think Leo is a, a tremendous actor, but Paul Giamatti owns you know, he's so phenomenal in that movie um, that, you know, there's not even a question in my mind mm-hmm. that he's the better performance. I am right there with you. And Oscar, uh, talk is something we'll revisit on Collider Dailies every once in a while when a new movie comes up that warrants that conversation. So we'll be returning to this very soon. But in the meantime, we have to uh, we have to move over to the biggest story of this whole episode of Collider Dailies. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I'm so excited about this, Steve. Paddington in Peru officially has a release date. January 17th, 2025 is now my most anticipated date in the next two years. I'm so excited about that movie coming out. It's actually 
coming out in the U.S. two months after it's released in the U.K. So I feel like I might have to plan a trip to the U.K. specifically to see it early on November 8th, 2024. I was literally going to ask you, are you flying to the U.K. to watch it early? <laughs> I I mean, I, I hope. I'd love to do something like that. I don't know if I could justify a whole trip out of my own pocket, but maybe like plan some interviews there or something. I don't know. I don't understand the why they're the release date is so much later in America, but it must, there obviously is a reason. Um, I need to look at the release schedule, uh, but you know. I think they might have done that for one, if not both of the Paddington movies beforehand. I feel like at least one of them had come out early in the UK compared to the US, but Paddington is just It's so wonderful. I'm so excited. Just in case anybody out there needs a refresher on what Paddington 3 is going to be about, as you probably expect from the title, the movie's going to see Paddington going back to Peru to uh, visit Aunt Lucy, who now apparently lives in uh, the home for retired bears. And the Brown family goes along for this trip and they get in uh, involved in some sort of mystery that apparently is going to take them through the Amazon rainforest and to the, the mountain peaks of Peru. So a wild adventure for Paddington in Peru. I'm very, very excited about this movie. I really, really love the first two. The big difference between the first two and this new one is that we have a different director. And I'll be completely honest, when you deliver two really great movies like Paul King did with the first Paddington movies, and then you switch up the director, I'm going to get nervous. Especially when that director, Dougal Wilson, this is it, it's going to be his feature directorial debut. That's a big movie to debut with. And I'm not super familiar with his commercial and music video work, but apparently is very talented in that sphere. And if the team behind these movies entrusted him with the third film, I would like to believe that he is he's up for the challenge. So I got a whole lot of faith in him and the entire production. I want more Paddington. Yeah, for people that have not seen Paddington or Paddington 2, they're phenomenal. I, I mean, they are phenomenal movies. Uh, I'm optimistic about Paddington 3 because Paul King came up with the story. He's executive producing or producing. I'm sure he's going to be involved in the edit. But this goes back to why I'm so excited for Wonka with Timothy mm. Chalamet, because Paul King directed Wonka. And Paul King is a very, very talented filmmaker, which is why I believe Wonka will be something good. Um, and possibly something special. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm super looking forward to Paddington 3, and uh, I really hope it's awesome, because it would be three for three. The, yeah. the, those first two are amazing. Looking at the uh, live chat now, Jeremy's saying, I'm on the fence about Wonka, but I'm excited for another Paddington movie. I understand being on the fence about Wonka, and I guess I have to say I am as well, but for good reasons, because it looks bold and different. And I feel like whenever anything takes a big swing, it's it's always uh, reasonable to be a little nervous about what the outcome is going to be. But I am I'm quite hopeful that Wonka winds up being a... Uh, like a, a wildly unique and maybe bizarre and wacky ride, or at least it looks that way uh, from the trailers for me. Yeah, look, I, I mean, Timothy Chalamet has his choice of scripts, and obviously he saw something in this. Mm-hmm. Paul King is a very talented filmmaker. I really believe it'll be good. I, I yeah. truly. I, li- I like you having that faith in that movie. All right, let's go on to our last topic. This is a li- it's not a newsy topic. It's just like a fun story. And the two of us are also uh, big uh, poster fans ourselves. So we wanted to use this as an opportunity to show off some of our own. But the the story here is that 
Apparently, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio might own one of the most expensive movie posters out there. So I'm going to read a little from the Collider.com article to give you context. So apparently the international uh, poster for Metropolis sets the record for being the most expensive poster. And then the article goes on to say, and I'm reading directly from it, a version of the poster sold for $690,000. It isn't the original, but the overseas version of the poster. It was sold in London by the Real Poster Gallery to an unknown U.S. collector for an original price of 393,000 pounds and is just one of four copies known to exist worldwide. According to the Guinness World Records, those copies reside in New York's Museum of Modern Art, Berlin's Film Museum, as well as another undisclosed private location. The rumored buyer is Leonardo DiCaprio. What do you think about Leonardo DiCaprio possibly owning that poster and also just in general, someone spending that sum of money on a poster? Okay, well, I have a lot to say. One, um, (laughs) he has money. Uh, and if he wants to buy a classic poster with his money, I think more power to him because he's going to take care of it. Two, if you've ever seen pictures, uh, I've been to Lucasfilm, and George Lucas has an insane movie poster collection. Spielberg has an insane movie poster collection. Scorsese, uh, M. Night, uh, the list of directors uh, and you know people in the industry that have collected these amazing posters, it makes sense. I mean, th- this is what they're passionate about, and if I had that space and that kind of money, I would do the exact same thing. I don't have the space and I don't have the money. So it's not, you know, an option for me to collect those kinds of vintage posters, but they're awesome. And those posters from back in the day, like uh, they're so cool and they're huge and they're unique. And they're not like modern posters that are 27 by 41. They're massive. You know, uh, anyway, I, I think Leo probably has this and more power to him. I, I don't know if I could ever, like, even if I was like, one of the richest people on the planet. I don't know if I could ever justify spending nearly $700,000 on a poster. I feel like I might personally have to draw the line somewhere, but I do love collecting some movie posters. I have many in this apartment that I'm in right now, many of which are Mondo posters, which I love, love, love. I want every variation imaginable. They're a little big. I couldn't carry them up to this space without potentially hurting myself on the stairs. So I didn't bring those up, but I wanted to point out this one that I absolutely love. It was a gallery 1988 purchase, and it's from a designer named uh, Nate Gonzalez. You can find him on social media at Nate Moonlife. And I just love his work in general. I have many screen posters, surprise, surprise, but I just, yeah, really. I just love the colors that he uses and the way that this one pops just in general when I'm looking at it, but also clearly on camera as well, because it's always there. It's funny, I I also have a bunch of Mondo posters, and it's because, like, for both of us, they're affordable uh, compared to classic things that are 100 years old. Um, And, you know, I was buying them, I guess, like 10 years ago or more. Um, And, I listen, I have a bunch of Tyler Stouts and Martin Anson, and, I mean, I have a bunch of Mondo posters uh, and other things, and that's what's on my walls. I'm looking at some right now. And uh, look, I love them. I, I really do. And, um, you know, they're great. And I recommend, I mean, there's a lot of galleries 
for people that don't realize, you know, every anywhere from um, uh, there's just a lot of cool poster things in the United States. We write about them on Collider when cool ones come up that you can get for your, you know, movies that you like. And um, they're really cool. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you've noticed a lot of them, like you'll constantly see screen posters or posters for RoboCop or posters for the thing. And it's because certain movies are, uh, are easier to get the license for and others are way harder. So that's why you keep on seeing posters for say Star Wars um, or for certain properties like Jurassic Park mm-hmm. uh, and why you won't see one for like The Third Man by Orson Welles or Citizen Kane or movies like that where, you know, um, The Godfather where it's harder to get rights. Yeah, I do have the the jock, the thing poster in my apartment. I obviously did not bring that upstairs because it's very large, but I'm doing some show and tell because I did bring a couple things with me. So the first the first thing is uh, is a brand new acquisition. Someone actually made it for me, and I think it's the coolest thing ever. I didn't know we were doing show and tell, and of course, it's another screen poster. Well, it's not a poster. I'm, I want to like try to bring it closer to the camera. This entire thing is made out of Lego. Like, even down to the frame, the frame that it's in was built out of Legos, and my buddy Sam made it for me. That's crazy. Is this the coolest thing ever? That, that's actually really cool. I'm very I didn't excited it was about Lego. This. Once you said Lego, I'm like, oh, wait, that's I know. awesome. So this, that's a favorite. And then the other little ones that I brought up were things that I own that were signed for me. So this is my my Ash versus Evil Dead um, signed DVD. I have the box quote on this one, and then the whole cast signed it for me. When we, you remember when we were doing that Ash versus Evil Dead after show? So I love that one. And then the other one I brought is Jesse Buckley signed this uh, Wild Rose vinyl for me, and I love this movie. I think this movie deserved an original uh, song Oscar nomination that it didn't get, but also Jesse was one of the very first um, guests on Collider Ladies Night for Wild Rose, so I cherish that as well. I'm going to ask you a question about that uh, that one with Jesse's signature. So that yeah. frame... Do you have that in the sunlight or do you have that in the, in like, no, it's not in the sunlight. I was going to say, if you have posters in the sunlight, this goes to everybody. Yes. You have to have UV protection. Otherwise the poster will fade. And cause I have a poster that um, isn't, I don't really care that much about it, but it is, it's a Van Gogh thing and it's super faded because it's been in the sunlight for years. (laughs) So I won't spend an insane amount of money on the poster itself. I have been known to spend stupid amounts of money on getting things professionally framed. One, because like, I actually love like the art of framing and finding the perfect frame and the perfect mat and everything, but also so I get the proper glass so that my poster investment is actually protected. I'm going to give a plug. Uh, there's someone in downtown LA named uh, Framing Devil, and he's done a bunch of things for me. Uh, if you're in LA and you, or maybe if you're not in LA and you just want to work with him, he does insane stuff. Just, it's crazy what he does. Um, I have a Martin Anson Dracula on wood that's in a, uh, like a coffin that he made. Um, he did my, I didn't know we were doing Sean, uh, um, show and tell, but I have this Sean of the Dead bat with all the guys signed it and it's like inside a bloody case that he made. Uh, he does amazing work. Amazing. Steve, every episode of Collider Dailies can be show and tell next, next episode, bring, bring something to show it off. Uh, that is it. Yeah, for- I, mean, 
I, I didn't I didn't realize I could it's sitting over there, but it's far enough away from, you know. Dude, we make the rules on this show. You do whatever you want. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I didn't you know it's anyway. Yeah, All right. I, I, yeah. That is the end of uh, today's edition of Collider Dailies. We will both be back tomorrow. Is there anything you want to plug before we sign off, Steve? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I still have a few tickets for the holdovers in New York Mm -hmm. and L.A. um, uh, because we're just in bigger theaters than we normally are. Uh, So if you want to go, just go to, like, Collider.com. Just type in the holdovers screening Collider in Google. It'll pop up, and you can do that. And I haven't picked winners yet for Invincible Season 2 premiere special screening with Robert Kirkman. I'm doing that later this week. So if you want to go to the special screening that we're doing of Invincible Season 2 before it's streaming, again, just type in Invincible Season 2 screening collider on Google and the article will pop up and it'll tell you what to do. Those are two really good screenings right there. Both I would suggest getting tickets to if you can. And I will just drop in one more time the link to buy tickets to the final girls and lights out with post-screening Q&As with the directors via Landmark Theaters. Again, only $5, $5 for a really good movie, a great Q&A, and just good vibes. That's been one of the best part about this screening series, Steve. Just a whole bunch of horror lovers together having fun, celebrating some of the best movies. It's great. All right, that's it. We are out of here. Have a good Monday, everyone, and we will see you tomorrow for a brand new edition of Collider Dailies.